Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Greetings. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Of course, other options streaming live at WSBTradio.com. And on the free WSBT radio app, we have a Twitch feed right now going. A video feed on the Twitch app. A free download, just search Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We've got about an hour and 45 minutes of Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight. South Bend Cubs baseball begins at 645. The Cubs on the road to take on the mighty Skycarp of Beloit, the leaders in the Midwest League's Western Division, two and a half in front of several teams, including South Bend. But before we get to South Bend Cubs baseball, we have our hat trick of opening topics to get to. We'll talk about the transfer portal. Some pluses for the Irish out of the portal so far in the process. We've got our Twitter question of the day. In the 6 o'clock hour, we will talk things over with Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider. Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. One of the things I want to talk to Mike about is defensive end Logan Thomas out of the state of Texas, an explosive edge rusher, edge rusher from the Lone Star State. All the big boys in college football are after him. Notre Dame is in the mix. We'll talk about Logan Thomas and other players on the defensive line board right now for Marcus Freeman, Al Washington, and the Fighting Irish. We will end the program with some sports wagering talk in our Sizzler segment. Some news that broke just a few moments ago. Of course, we had to watch 
Logan Diggs, the Notre Dame running back, entered the transfer portal, and he has found a new destination. It was the one we thought all along. Logan Diggs has committed to Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers, the Louisiana native, has decided to return home. This is a weird portal entry. When you consider he's a starter, he's part of the 1A-1B running back tandem at Notre Dame. Diggs had more carries than anybody else on the football team last year, 165 compared to 156 for Audric Estime. Estime averaged 5.9 yards per carry. Diggs was at 5 yards per carry. Estime ended up with more rushing yards. He led the team in rushing touchdowns. But it wasn't enough for Logan Diggs. He has decided to go back to Louisiana, and he is going to play for the LSU Tigers. And I'll tell you what, Jaden Daniels at quarterback, Logan Diggs at running back. I honestly can't tell you about the running back depth at LSU, but if Diggs is number one, Jaden Daniels and Logan Diggs is a pretty good start to an offense that former Irish coordinator Mike Denbrock will be running down in Baton Rouge this year. So it's official. Logan Diggs leaves the Irish and he ends up with the LSU Tigers. Kind of what we expected, but it happened just a few moments ago. Also, it's a big night for NBA fans. Victor Wimbanyama considered the best NBA draft prospect since LeBron James, a seven-footer that looks like a guard. He is a remarkable, remarkable talent. Well, the NBA draft lottery is coming up tonight, and the four teams with the best chance to get his services, a.k.a. get the number one pick, Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio have a 14% chance to win the lottery. Charlotte is at 12.5. The Indiana Pacers have a 6.8% chance of getting the number one pick. And the Chicago Bulls at 1.8. If the Bulls win the lottery, that would mean the city of Chicago had the number one pick in the NFL draft before the Bears traded it. They have the number one pick in the NHL draft. Remarkably, they came out of the ashes to win the draft. It's amazing how big cities sometimes win the draft. That's the fourth time the Hawks have jumped up in the draft lottery. That's great luck or fill in the blank. Like when the Knicks got Patrick Ewing. Out of nowhere, the Knicks went up to number one. So I can't imagine this guy's going to end up in a small market like Charlotte or Indianapolis. It just feels like the NBA does not want to waste this guy in a small market. So Houston, San Antonio, I would say get ready for one of those two teams to probably end up with them. Maybe they give them to Detroit. Who knows? I don't want to say give them. It makes like it sounds like the draft is fixed, but sometimes it feels that way. We'll see how the ping pong balls bounce tonight in Chicago, and we'll find out where the star European player will end up. All right, here we go. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, our hat trick of opening topics for this Tuesday, May the 16th of 2023. Jesse Simonton, National College Football Columnist at On3.com. That's the national organization that is tied in with my colleagues at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Now, he put together a list of the best position groups in the country. 
Now, Notre Dame is considered a top 15 football team when the preseason polls come out in a couple of months. I think there's a good chance they're in the top 15. I think that's fair. But based on Simonton's rankings, you wonder how they're going to get to a top 15 ranking because only three units made the elite categories. The position groups that rank in the elite of college football, offensive line, cornerback, and linebackers. The most highly ranked group, the Fighting Irish Offensive Line. They're number three in the country behind Georgia and Michigan. And they're number three without knowing really who the two starting guards are going to be. For this football team, it seems like Billy Shrout, Andrew Kristoffic are leaders. Rocco Spindler on the fringes. Who knows? Maybe somebody else can get into the running once again at the guard spots. But they're number three without knowing who the guards are. But we know who the tackles are. Led by left tackle Joe Alt, Blake Fisher on the right side. Zeke Carell is the center. Notre Dame getting the benefit of the doubt without knowing who the guards are. They're number three on this list. The cornerback position is number six, led by Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart. Morrison coming off a spectacular freshman season. And the linebacking court, there's a lot of options at linebacker. We've discussed there's that old Grizzly veteran group that you know what you're going to get out of them. Then you got some young pups that are ready to go like Jalen Sneed, or it looks like they're ready to go, but it's tough to unseat guys like Bertrand, Leah Fowle, Kaiser. But there's a lot of options at linebacker, and they got a number 10 ranking in the country. So is there a group that should have been ranked in the elite of the elite elsewhere on the football team? Well, you take a look at the quarterback position. If it's just starting quarterback, I would have to imagine Hartman is in the top 10, no worse than the top 15. But these are position groups in this article. And if you factor in Hartman plus the backups, Steve Angeli, a handful of snaps last year, Kenny Minchie is a true freshman. Without Tyler Buckner, that room looks totally different. Of course, if you've been absent for a while, Tyler Buckner left the Irish and is now battling for the starting job at Alabama. So Hartman by himself, top 10, top 15. When you couple the room together, it's probably not in the elite category. The running back room. A month ago, absolutely. Without Logan Diggs, bear with me for a second, it may not be as easy to rate them that high. You got the guy you know what you're going to get. In fact, I don't know, you may get a little more in terms of athleticism from Audric Estime. He shed some pounds. He looked really good in the spring. He's your guy, but Logan Diggs is now, as we mentioned, at LSU. So outside of Estime, you have Promise. I sit here feeling good about this group. Maybe you do as well. But we are basing that on limited, and I mean very limited, opportunities. Two, three, and four on the depth chart. I'll put them in an order. Maybe it changes. Jabron Payne, Jadarian Price coming off an injury, and the freshman, Jeremiah Love. 
Outside of Audric Estimate, those three running backs have a total of two collegiate carries. So it's hard to rank the group elite at this moment. After a month of the season, we relook at these particular groups. Maybe they go into the top 10. But right now, with limited experience on the field, I can understand why the running back room did not make the elite of the elite running back groups in the country. Wide receiver, I'm going to say no, still unproven, still need to see more out of players in terms of consistency. You've got some young guys you're excited about, including what we saw from Jaden Greathouse in the blue goal game. But to put this group in the elite category in the preseason, hard to do that. Once we get the season started, we'll see what these guys can do. Tight end, not this year. Last year with Michael Mayer in the group, you're in the elite category. Not this year. That's a major, major loss that you just can't replace. So it's hard to find another running back group that should have been ranked in the elite in the country. What about on the defensive side? We mentioned cornerback and linebackers were both in the top 10 of this list put together by on three national college football columnist Jesse Simonton. The other choices, defensive line, can't do that. Too many questions right now in that particular area. A lot of promise showed in the spring, but there isn't a lot of marquee name players along that defensive line that's going to grab your attention. Safety position, I think you have reliable players. DJ Brown, Xavier Watts, Ramon Henderson. Let's see how Antonio Carter fits in. The young man from Rhode Island listed as a safety but played a lot of corner last year for the Rams. Maybe he enhances that cornerback group. Maybe he's a safety. Let's see how he fits in so I would not put the safety group in the elite category in the country. So after you kind of take a look at the situation, at first you're thinking for a team ranked probably in the top 15 of the polls, how they could have not many position groups ranked, you kind of break it down. You see that maybe those are the ones that should have been ranked. And there are some question marks in some spots that doesn't allow a couple of groups to be ranked. Like, for example, the running back group. In time, we'll learn more about the 2023 Fighting Irish, and we'll see maybe there's a group that will gain in popularity across the country once we see them play this year. Again, that's Jesse Simonton, if you want to check it out, on3.com, National College Football columnist ranking the best position groups in the country. And if you're just joining me in the middle of that conversation, Notre Dame had three teams ranked, offensive line number three in the country, cornerback number six, linebackers number ten. Now we move to hat trick topic number two to get this program underway. And let's talk about baseball. Is this unwritten rules? I'm not sure exactly what we're going to call it. But we had a developing situation north of the border last night. The New York Yankees taking on the Toronto Blue Jays. Yankees were up 6-0. Manager Aaron Boone ejected for arguing balls and strikes. The guy who hit 62 home runs last year, Aaron Judge, in the batter's box. And the game aired, of course, on Yes Network, but also in Canada on Sportsnet. And they have two of the very best broadcasters calling Blue Jay games. You might be familiar with Dan Shulman, 
who called Sunday Night Baseball for many years on ESPN, and Buck Martinez, who has been broadcasting a long time after being a catcher in the majors, including with the Toronto Blue Jays. Highly respected, quality broadcasters. And as they're watching the Aaron Judge at bat unfold with New York up 6-0, they notice something that was rather strange with the Judge at bat. Now, if you play baseball, you know, when you're in the batter's box, you have your eyes on the pitcher. Well, Judge had his eyes on the pitcher, but aha, all of a sudden you see him glancing as a right-handed batter into the first base dugout where his Yankee teammates are. He glances over several times. Now, why would you do that? Some might have even argued he was looking to see where the catcher was setting up. Based on the camera angles I've noticed, I don't think he was peeking back at the catcher. He was looking into the dugout. So this is how it unfolded on Sportsnet in Toronto last night with this at bat, Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez on the call in Toronto. I'm going to let it play out in its entirety. I didn't cut anything out, including a long pause where I think both are looking at each other like, what just happened here? So this is what happened in Toronto last night with Aaron Judge sneaking peeks into the Yankees dugout while in the batter's box waiting for the pitch to come home. All right, Buck. So you and I looked at each other at the same moment right when we saw this three yeah. pitches ago. Watch what he's looking at. Yeah. What is that? Where's he looking? Where's he looking? And he did in it more than dugout? once. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really unusual. But you and I both looked at each other when yeah. we saw that. Like, like did you see what I saw? Yeah. And you don't want to go, you know, throwing allegations around without knowing, but no. And, and you know what? Yeah, I, I have had guys look back when I was catching, and, and you obviously could see it, and he he couldn't see the catcher with the way he was looking right there. Yeah, just did it again. And he pummeled it. He hit it a country mile for his second home run of the night. Now here's the awkward pause where I think they both want to say something, but they're not going to say something. No allegations at this second. Once again, he's looking at something, and then the next move is that powerful swing and a blast one to center field. I've not seen that before with him. No. I've not ever no. seen that. And we've both seen it was, him yeah, it was, a lot. Do you mean, think he's trying to see if he can see Kirk, if Kirk's away? Yeah, I, you know, I it's know. more likely to be a slider if Kirk's in and he can't see him. It's more likely to be a fastball. But the way his head was, I don't know that he could see the catcher just looking like that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. He was not looking at the catcher. He was not trying to sneak a peek if the catcher, Alejandro Kirk, was setting up inside or outside. To me, what happened was the Yankees somehow, some way, whatever the case may be, had 
figured out what the pitcher was going to throw. Now, the Astros cheated. It was a blatant cheat where they had a camera that could see from center field into the catcher giving the signs, and with a trash can, you might recall, they would let the batter know by the pounding of the trash can what pitch was coming. That is absolute cheating, using electronics to your advantage. Now, based on what we know from last night's ball game, the Yankees did not use any sort of electronics. In my personal opinion, the Yankees were letting Aaron Judge know in some capacity that they had figured out what the pitcher was going to throw. I don't think they were stealing signs. I think the pitcher was tipping his pitches. Now, you see this a lot more at the high school level. I know with the travel team that my son is on, I talk to our hitters about, you'll see a lot of young pitchers, when it's a fastball, they never move their glove. They have the fastball grip already, and if they don't move their glove, they are not changing the location of your fingers on the baseball. So if that glove doesn't move, you know it's going to be a fastball or the pitch that they always put their hands in the glove with. Now, if you watch a pitcher do this and you see he never moves his glove, it's a fastball, okay. But then when you see the glove move in preparation for a pitch, you know that they are changing their grip. And that normally means something off speed. Whatever the pitcher throws, change up, curveball, whatever the case may be. And that's something simple you can pick up on. I don't think it was that easy with a major league pitcher. They are well beyond that. Most guys, if you watch games tonight, will move their glove, whether they're changing the grip or not, just to not allow the opposing team to figure out that by the way I am holding my glove and moving the ball in my hand, You're not going to be able to figure out what's coming, so you always move your glove. Younger pitchers don't understand it. It's easy to pick up, and it's a a fun little tip if you have a youngster playing baseball. Talk to them about it. It can be helpful, to say the least. This is Major League Baseball. It was not as simple as that, but pitchers do tip pitches. Some pitchers do some things that the opposing team catch, and there are people on every team looking for something on video that a pitcher does that could help them understand what pitch is coming. To me, the Yankees in the dugout had something picked up. And I think Aaron Judge was glancing into the dugout and in some capacity, maybe a hand signal, whatever the case may be, he knew what pitch was coming. Now, He hit that bomb to straightaway center field. I mean, it was crushed. It was an 84-mile-per-hour breaking ball that was not center cut, but pretty doggone close. If he doesn't know it's coming, he probably still hits it really hard. But if, in fact, the Yankees knew the pitch that was coming and they relayed it to Judge, it sure didn't hurt because he absolutely 
crunch that baseball. The point is this. If that's what the Yankees did, they did absolutely nothing wrong. That is a part of baseball. Figuring out what the other team is doing, not like the Astros using electronics to gain the advantage. It is simply studying a pitcher on video, catching something during the game. That's why you see a lot of times pitchers watch each other looking for things that someone does that could translate into tipping pitches, which is bad at the major league level. You're going to get hard if the opposing team knows what's coming. But the Yankees did nothing wrong, but they acted like they were trying to cover it up last night. They didn't want anyone to know that maybe they picked up on something. Aaron Judge was asked about this. He was told that the Blue Jays broadcasters were, I don't know if questioning is the right word, but pointing out he was looking into the dugout several times, including seconds before hitting the home run, and it's not something he normally does. Now, Judge asked the guy to repeat the question, but he was kind of surprised anyone picked up on it. Now, here's what Judge had to say why he was looking into the dugout. Yeah, it was kind of a lot of chirping from our our dugout, which I really didn't like in the situation where it's a 6 nothing game. And I know Booney got tossed. Like, I was trying to save Booney by calling timeout. Like, hey, hold up here. Like, let me let me work here. So I was kind of trying to see who was who was chirping in the dugout. So it's 6 nothing. Like, let's – Booney got tossed. Let's, let's go to work now. Teammates kind of checking on your Yankees teammates? Yeah, I'm kind of looking. Like, who's, who's still talking here? It's six nothing, and our manager got tossed. He did his job. Like, let's go back to playing ball. Do you feel that's unnecessary in that situation with that score? You know, I like Booney sticking up for me, and I, he he always does. Uh, but I feel like after the manager does his thing, it's it's like fellas, like you know, our pitcher still got to go out there and make some pitches. Like, let's you know, we got the lead. Let's let's just go to work here. So it kind of I said a couple things to some guys in the dugout, and especially after the game, but. Um, Hopefully it won't happen again. Okay. Chirping happens in every baseball game. And I just can't believe that Aaron Judge, while focused on hitting a major league pitcher, continues to look into the dugout because his teammates are chirping at the umpires. Do you honestly believe that? Who would take their eyes off the pitcher? Oh, my gosh. Who was that in the dugout that was saying something to the umpire? I better take a look. I think they got the Blue Jays. I really do. I don't think they did anything out of the ordinary. I think they figured out what pitch was coming, and they helped out their superstar. I think they all just kind of came up with an ante on this whole thing, and they went with chirping. That just is a lousy, lousy excuse for what happened in last night's ballgame. I guess you don't want to just come out and say, we figured out the pitches, and we gave it to our guy, and he, and he creamed it. But I'm just not buying. He was looking into the dugout because people were chirping. If they're chirping, don't you just step out of the box? If the opposing team is chirping, do you really look into their dugout? No. Credit to the Yankees. If they figured out what pitch was coming, good for them. 
That's good old-fashioned baseball. That's old-school baseball, figuring out what the pitcher's going to throw. Don't use electronics like the Astros and maybe the Red Sox did with an Apple Watch. I think this probably was legit, and it was old-school. And because it's the Yankees, it gets blown up, and it's the home run king from last year. But I think the Blue Jays just absolutely gave the Yankees an advantage because their pitcher was doing something or there was something that the Yankees picked up on. And you know what? They took advantage and they helped their slugger cream an 84-mile-per-hour breaking ball about 450 feet to straightaway center at the Rogers Center. Our hat trick of opening topics now moves to number three. And two Notre Dame alums are being tied to the Milwaukee Bucks head coaching vacancy, Monty Williams and Chris Quinn. First off, the Bucks were stunned in the first round of the NBA playoffs by the Miami Heat. After an NBA best 58-24 record during the regular season, Mike Buddenholzer, who just two years ago led the Bucks to the world championship, let go. So now there's a host of candidates for the Bucks to choose from and to have those Notre Dame ties. Monty Williams played for the Irish 89 to 94. 1994 NBA first round pick number 24 overall the New York Knicks. Played in the NBA from 94 to 03. Got into coaching in 2005 was an assistant with Portland from 05 to 2010. Then went to the Hornets Pelicans organization. Became their head coach from 2010 to 2015. He had some really good success there for a franchise that didn't have a whole lot. He went 173 and 221. Went to the Oklahoma City Thunder as an associate head coach in 2015-2016. And Suns head coach from 2019 until just a couple of days ago. Going 194 and 115. NBA coach of the year in 2022 Led the Suns to the finals in 2021. Lost in the Western Conference semifinals to the number one seed, the Denver Nuggets. Didn't have Chris Paul. Aiton was hurt. They made a bad deal for Kevin Durant. But Williams paid the price because as a brand new owner, and new owners like to do things their way. They want their people. The GM's job, not sure it's safe because he did more to hurt the Suns than Monty Williams did. And Monty's truly one of the great human beings on the face of the earth. He will get another opportunity. The Bucks are allegedly interested in Williams. Other teams interested in Monty. The Toronto Raptors and the Detroit Pistons. Milwaukee reportedly also interested in Chris Quinn. The former Irish guard from 02 to 06 went undrafted, but was an NBA player from 2006 to 2011 got a job at Northwestern as an assistant coach in 13 and 14 he has been the lead assistant coach for the Miami Heat since 2014 right hand man for Spolstra actually filled in for him and picked up some wins for the Miami Heat now Quinn is a guy that does not have head coaching experience will that hurt him at the end of the day you know possibly But there's some good buzz about Chris Quinn. In fact, he has interviewed for the Indiana Pacers job and Washington Wizards jobs the last couple of years. ESPN writer Kevin Arnovitz had this to say about Quinn. 
quote, ask Heat insiders who most embodies the team's culture, and Quinn is commonly the answer. One league source affectionately referred to Quinn as Spolstra's mini-me for his temperament and organizational skills. He's an emotionally stable leader who inspires confidence in players, as revealed when he filled in for Spolstra as head coach for a stint in March and April. Quinn received his first interview for a head coaching job with Indiana in 2020, while Washington gave him a look in 2021, end quote. That is Kevin Arnovitz, basketball writer for ESPN. His thoughts on former Notre Dame guard Chris Quinn, longtime right-hand man for Spolstra down in Miami. With the Heat having success year in and year out, somebody might take a chance to see if Quinn can bring that culture to their city. So the Bucks got one of the best players in the world to work with. You got Pat Connaughton on that team, the Irish star, maybe – Pat has some Notre Dame company if the Bucs decide to go with either Monty Williams or Chris Quinn as their head coach. That's our hat trick of opening topics for tonight. 5.38 is our time. Coming up in a moment, we'll take a look at some positives out of the transfer portal for the Fighting Irish. Twitter question of the day coming up. Mike Singer talks Notre Dame football recruiting in about a half an hour on WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel one by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. Five-five rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Hungry, enjoy award-winning jumbo wings, awesome appetizers, delicious burgers, and a great selection of ice-cold beer at a Wings Etc. Grill and Pub location near you. Let's talk about Notre Dame football and the transfer portal. Earlier in the program, we spent a little time discussing Logan Diggs officially picking LSU just a little bit ago, or at least he made the announcement. The Irish running back is returning back to his home state of Louisiana to wrap up his college football career. Tyler Buckner left Notre Dame for Alabama. Prince Colley, linebacker with a role in this football team, into the portal. I saw something a couple of days ago that he might go to Vanderbilt. Not sure if it's official as of yet. But some recognizable names with a role in this football team have left. And it's also a situation in which the Irish have added players from the transfer portal to help them in 2023 and maybe 2024. A prime example is Antonio Carter, the player from Rhode Island, FCS player, who was offered by Notre Dame just 11 days ago on May the 5th. Quick turnaround, he visited Notre Dame, liked what he saw, and committed to the Fighting Irish on May the 13th. By picking Notre Dame, he then canceled a couple of visits he had lined up. One to go see Brian Kelly at LSU, and the other 
a chance to go to Gainesville and see what he called his dream school, the Florida Gators. He's all in on the Fighting Irish. So Carter is a player that sure does appear like he is going to factor in to Notre Dame's defensive plans this year. He was listed as a safety, but if you watch video of Carter at Rhode Island, he looked to be a high-quality cornerback. Now, that's FCS competition. We all understand that. But he definitely made a lot of plays on the football and had a lot of pass breakups, which was a major weakness of last year's Notre Dame football team. Just to give you some of the numbers, Carter, the last two seasons, 21 starts out of 22 appearances, 112 total tackles, 17 pass breakups the last two years, including 10 last year for Rhode Island. In comparison, Notre Dame had 24 all of last year. That was 129th out of 131 FBS teams. So this ball-hawking defensive back, safety but has cornerback skills, another versatile player. And how many times have we talked about a Notre Dame defensive player they're bringing in that provides versatility? He can play different spots. This is definitely the case for Antonio Carter. Now, the Irish were looking for depth at the safety position. They have capable players in D.J. Brown, Xavier Watts, and Ramon Henderson. The young freshman, Ben Minnick and Adon Schuler injured. Not sure how much they're going to be able to help this football team. So, Carter, a very interesting addition, and it just feels like he is going to have a very important role on this fighting Irish defense in 2023. You look at the safety depth chart, there are seven safeties, and we will list Carter as a safety. Four years of eligibility for Adon Schuler and Ben Minnick. You got two years of Carter, Xavier Watts, and Ramon Henderson, and one year with D.J. Brown of the grad transfer from Oklahoma State, Thomas Harper, who has that versatility listed as a safety, played a lot of nickel for the Oklahoma State Cowboys last year, possibly a role with the Irish football team this year. But, hey, there's no doubt the Irish lost some key guys to the portal, but they also added what they believe is a franchise-type quarterback, if you want to call it that, and Sam Hartman coming from Wake Forest, where he rewrote the Wake Forest record books and some ACC records as well. Now, you got Caleb Smith, the wide receiver from Virginia Tech. He has since retired from football after starting spring practice with the Irish. Then you got defensive lineman Javante Jean-Baptiste from Ohio State as a reserve pass rusher last year, four sacks for Ohio State. Can he provide some of that pressure lost with Isaiah Foskey going to the NFL draft? Jordan Botello, Jean-Baptiste are two guys that you're counting on. Your starting kicker probably coming from South Florida and Spencer Schrader. And then you've got the guy we just talked about a moment ago, defensive back Antonio Carter of Rhode Island. So, yeah, Buckner, Diggs, two of the guys that have left. But some really interesting players coming into the program. Hartman's going to start. You expect Schrader, Gene Baptiste. If he's not a starter, he's going to play his share of snaps. And Antonio Carter can't wait to see where he fits in. 5.50 is our time. we got our Twitter question of the day next on WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 
WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, 554. Is our time on this Tuesday evening. Twitter question of the day for Monday. You can find it on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Yesterday's question from these choices, which of these Notre Dame football related items would you change? Your four options return to natural grass, change the NBC broadcasters, do not play FCS Tennessee State, or improve the use of the video board. You have voted. Here are the results. Not a lot of support for adding more features to the video board during the game. That got 4.7% of the vote. Third place in the voting. Return to natural grass. I think five, six years ago, this would have won. But I think that people are okay with the field turf. Looks good, plays well. There haven't been a rash of injuries because of the field turf. And it looks good in November. So it's good to see people have now, for the most part, adapted to field turf over the traditional natural grass at Notre Dame Stadium. From these choices, which of these Notre Dame football-related items would you change? Second place in the voting, 26.7% went with do not play FCS Tennessee State. There's a lot of, I think, pride among Irish fans that Notre Dame, what one of three schools, USC and UCLA included, that never played an FCS school. That's going to change by playing Eddie George's Tennessee State team after getting back from the Dublin game. So a little history at Notre Dame Stadium taking on Tennessee State. 26% say, ah, let's just play FBS teams. But winning the vote easily, the one thing you would change about Notre Dame football, change the NBC broadcasters. That is a common theme. It's interesting when I hear from two natural national broadcasters via direct message saying, who is this guy calling the Notre Dame games? It's boring. He's calling a tennis match. It was rough last year for the most part. And I don't think there's going to be any changes. It's going to be the same two. So hopefully it'll be a little more exciting this year on NBC. But that got 53.5% of the vote. We thank you for voting. Now today's question is, what is the best choice that Notre Dame has made to enhance their football program? Three choices, kind of along the same lines. Are you most happy with the field turf, the video board, or the stadium additions? What has enhanced the program the most? Adding field turf, the video board, or stadium expansion? You can vote on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. That is 960SportsBeat. We'll pass along the results with a brand-new question on tomorrow's Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Sports update coming up in a moment. Then we'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer. 2025 quarterback talk is on the way here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 
WSBTRadio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and on Twitch. As Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated insider Mike Singer. All right, Mike, let's get started and let's get right into some Notre Dame football recruiting news. And let's talk about a guy that could come off the edge possibly for the Fighting Irish, a a much heralded defensive end from, I believe, the state of Texas, Logan Thomas. This is a young man that, man, he's got some explosive moves watching some video of him. Is Notre Dame going to get a visit from Logan Thomas once again? And where do we stand right now with his recruitment? Yeah, four-star prospect from Katy, Texas, number 164 overall player, number 13 edge, according to the 2024 on-three industry ranking, visiting Notre Dame this weekend. So, Darren, it's interesting because March and April are usually big unofficial visits, months for Notre Dame, and then May, the coaching staff is on the road, you know, typically from Monday to Friday, and then by the weekend, I think those guys, remember, they – our people, you know, like they need to have their own life. And I think, you know, during the weekend, spend some time with their family, but also Darren, they're meeting with the players. Like you'll see, you know, some of those coaches and, and the players like tweet out photos of, you know, just position group meetings, you know, on, on a Saturday or Sunday, you know, they're, they're hanging out before those coaches hit the road. So May is a total grind. So it's not big for recruits coming on campus, but Logan Thomas, you know, was able to visit Notre Dame this weekend um, this will be his second time. He also visited in early March, I believe. So this is a top overall target for the Fighting Irish um, and, and someone who the staff is like, oh, you can come to campus in May? Yes, he will, he will absolutely host you. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty big deal, Darren. And I know we'll talk about defensive line recruiting in general, but if Notre Dame is able to get Logan Thomas, this puts the Irish in a very ideal situation moving forward. Um, I mean, you mentioned his pass rush moves. I mean, you saw him, you know, when, and for folks watching on YouTube or watching his film, um, you know, played a little bit of inside linebacker. He's coming off the edge. This is just the kind of player that you want. You can do all these different things, the versatility, the length, all those kind of, you know, buzzwords that can be cliche in football, <laughs> but they're, they're real things and they're important. Notre Dame really values the versatility and especially the length. Um, so, you know, everything I gather about Logan Thomas is that he, you know, is a really strong, uh, you know, fit for Notre Dame off the field and on the field. He looks like he could be a really good get for the Irish as well. Every football team is looking for more edge rushers. He's from Texas. He's a highly acclaimed player. So I would have to imagine the schools that have offered him are the who's who of college football. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about Big 12 country, I think Texas and, and Oklahoma are, are a couple of the big ones. And, um, yeah, he's he's got both schools on his offer. So I know he has Oklahoma, but I am I believe he has Texas as well. We'll get the crack staff on that. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Georgia does have Texas, LSU, USC. Got to throw out Colorado. Time school just yet, but they do have Deion Sanders, so it's interesting. So, yeah, those are a few of his offers. Interestingly enough, Darren, Texas Tech is a school to watch out for here. Um, it's an in-state school that's done a really good job recruiting him. Um, that coaching staff over there for the Red Raiders actually doing a really good job. You hear the Texas Tech linked with a lot of big-time recruits these days. But uh, I think it's a Texas Tech-Oklahoma-Notre Dame battle. Hmm. I do give the Fighting Irish – 
um, the edge for Thomas right now. And I think this weekend could be really big for the IF potentially landing him. Does that take place? I don't know. But again, the visit this weekend, him getting to campus a second time in the spring from the Houston, Texas area, that's a pretty big deal. Hmm. Well, last year the Irish thought they had Keon Keeley. He decommits. And, you know, we were so deep into the process, Mike. It's so hard to get another high-level player to flip to you. So this seems like it's an important cycle. And Irish off to a good start with Logan Thomas at this particular time. So let's expand the defensive line conversation. Mm -hmm. What is the status right now of defensive line recruiting for Marcus Freeman's staff? It's pretty interesting because there's a lot of guys on the board. They've offered many defensive linemen, but I think if you get Logan Thomas, Darren, and I can't speak for the Notre Dame staff here. This is kind of just Mike Singer reading between the lines. If they get Logan Thomas, that's four defensive linemen committed. And we'll go through those names in a minute. It's like, how many more? I mean, you're not taking six defensive linemen. At least I don't think so. <laughs> so that it kind of is like, you get Thomas, you're in a really good spot. Like, you've hit on these players that you really wanted. Makes your life a little bit easier if you're out Washington and Co. You just got to, you know, kind of focus on the guys you have committed. So, uh, and looking at Notre Dame's commitment so far on the defense line in 2024, you have Bryce Young, who I swear was just like 6'4", 215 pounds, and then you check around. Oh, he's 6'6", 245 as of January when he visited Notre Dame, a source told me. 6'6", 245 for Bryant Young's kid. Pretty big deal. He committed to Notre Dame April 29th. When I interviewed him not too long ago about his commitment, he was like, or I point blank asked him, I was like, do you always know it's going to be Notre Dame? And he says, honestly, no, I didn't always know. Like I, I thought it for a while there was might have been a, a different school. You know, like he really liked Michigan. He took a visit to Stanford. He just kept picking up offers left and right. But Young did commit to Notre Dame uh, April 29th. He told the staff uh, a week before at the Blue Gold game, but announced it a week later. Owen Wafels, just a tank, listed at six two two sixty seven. Darren, I might need to look into that one and see if that's a very outdated. Uh, listing as well because every time you see pictures of him standing next to some of his future teammates Wafel's the biggest like the dude is just massive so uh that's an interior defense lineman who committed to Notre Dame way back May 16th 2022 exactly a year ago today so how about that I'm gonna fire out a tweet now <laughs> as we're done recording this and I'm gonna say hey Owen Wafel's one year commitment anniversary how about that and then you got Cole Mullins uh, a commitment for Notre Dame that kind of came out of the blue. He visited uh, in April. This is an edge rusher. He's listed at 6'4", 240 pounds. Um, I know my coworker, Tim Hyde, believes that he could you know, bulk up to a strong side defensive end, same as uh, Bryce Young. But you just kind of want these long edge rushers, kind of get them in and figure it out later. Committed to Notre Dame over Wake and Duke, um, but also had offers you know, from USC, um, you know, Pitt, Miami, North Carolina. So um, had some big time offers as well. So that's the three man defensive line class. Again, if you get uh, young uh, Thomas committed, then it's kind of like you, you're going after probably one more guy. And I would assume it would be Justin Scott, the five-star interior defensive lineman from Chicago, San Ignatius. That would be, if they get Scott Thomas, uh, young, Wafel, and Mullins. I mean, that's got to be up there for an A-plus, right? 
I mean, it's not like five five stars. That's, I mean, that's a little unrealistic. But if you're talking about like a realistic expectation of what Notre Dame could get in a defense line class, that's it. I mean, that would be that would be crazy. And then they still have a few other targets, Darren. I want to quickly mention Elijah Rushing is supposed to be coming. So Notre Dame's not just putting all their eggs in these baskets, right? I mean, they're going to take the ones – like if Logan Thomas wants in, they're going to take them. But, that, like, I think Elijah Rushing, a five-star defense man who's visiting in June, I think you, you take Elijah Rushing for yeah. sure. Probably a long shot. This guy is literally a Keon Keeley clone. Talking about him a minute ago. You definitely – you take him. Malachi Williams would be an interesting one, 6'3", 210 pounds, edge rusher who Notre Dame really likes. Jalen Harvey, Notre Dame's in the mix with. He's another edge from Maryland. Benedict Umas, more of an interior guy, I believe. I think Notre Dame would love to have him. T.J. Lindsay, an interior guy from Arkansas. Sean Saviano's an interior guy from Clearwater, Florida. Um, or goes to school in Clearwater. I believe he's originally from Canada, but I could be wrong there. So Notre Dame is, has all of these guys on the board, Darren, and it's it's a good thing to have. Like if you'd rather, you know, potentially have to turn players away than, you know, have all your guys turn you away, if that makes sense. So um, it can kind of be tricky to go through the defensive line board. It's like, man, they have so many guys. How, how are they going to manage this? Of course, it always works itself out, but Notre Dame has definitely put itself in a situation where if they don't land a Logan Thomas, for example, they have many other options, and that's where you want to be. You don't turn down great players. You figure out a way to make room on the roster. He's Mike Singer. I'm Darren Fritchett talking Notre Dame football recruiting on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Also, for those of you listening on the radio, make sure you check out the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Our conversation is available. And as Mike was mentioning, all of those guys that Notre Dame was interested in, he was putting up bios. So if you're listening on the radio, you missed a lot of information on the screen. So make sure you check out the Blue and Gold YouTube channel and the Notre Dame recruiting update with Mike Singer. Now let's move along to the quarterback position. What is the outlook for quarterback recruiting in the 2025 class? Yeah, Darren, we're kind of like in May, it's really just you'll have some commitments. Like Notre Dame's been hot on the recruiting trail just in the past week, landing a couple of 2024 linebackers, Teddy Rezac and Bodie Cahoon. You got the uh, the transfer commitment and Antonio Carter. So it's a lot of commitments and coaches on the road. Your The work you did in the spring pays off to make commitments. And then June official visits, you usually will get those commitments in July, if, if that makes sense. So not a ton of super new stuff, but kind of did want to give an update on, on quarterback recruiting. Of course, Notre Dame has a, a pledge from CJ Carr in the 2024 cycle after a little bit of speculation uh, uh, maybe it was a little bit more in speculation, but any possible wavering that CJ Carr had about, you know, Notre Dame after some coaching changes has all been put to bed. Carr's totally locked in with the IRS. So Gino Gadouli and the staff is starting to look ahead to 2025. And just a quick rundown of some of the names, Darren. Bryce Underwood from Belleville, Michigan is uh, certainly at the, the uh, I don't know, he's one of the most, he's one of the top quarterbacks in the country on three. On three zone rankings, have him as the number one overall player. Um, across the board, he's the number one quarterback in the country. Like, this is a five-star talent all the way. Has not visited Notre Dame yet, and I would consider this one a total long shot until uh, Underwood, who stands at 6'3", 210 pounds, does visit the Fighting Irish. George McIntyre from Nashville, Tennessee, 
um, what is he, the nephew of former Colorado head coach and current FIU head coach, um, Mike McIntyre, um, and then um, his grandfather, uh, you know, was, was you know big time coach at, at Vanderbilt uh, before my time. But McIntyre is number two quarterback in the country, six uh, five one eighty five. Uh, again, from Nashville, um, Gino Gadulli was has already been to his high school twice, and I believe just yesterday. Um, so Notre Dame working there. Cutter Bowley from uh, Lexington Christian Academy in, in Kentucky, expected to commit to Kentucky this week. Um, yeah, he's announcing, I believe, on the 18th, and it seems like most industry um, insiders believe that he's going to stay in state. Antoine Hill, Notre Dame's offered him from Warren Robins, Georgia. That's the same hometown as Chancey Stuckey, Notre Dame's receivers coach. I would classify this one as a pretty long shot, kind of an, maybe even more of a long shot than Underwood, because at least Underwood's a Midwest kid. Hill, it's going to be hard to see him leave the South. Probably the same with K.J. Lacey from Saryland, Alabama. Um you know, he's I'm pretty sure yeah, he's got an offer from Alabama already and he gets compared to Bryce Young a good bit. Oof. That's going to be hard for the Irish to go in there. But I know that, you know, Gadouli and company have had a, had good conversations with him and building a good connection. Last but certainly not least, I know I'm kind of going through the names. I'm like, yeah, probably a long shot, probably a long shot. I mean, they're swinging for the fences. I mean, we're talking about these guys are all the top quarterbacks in the country. I mean, it's a pretty big-time competition here. But the one I do feel like Notre Dame has the best shot with currently, um, he's from Mississippi, Deuce Knight, um, a top 100 player per the entry industry ranking, number 86 nationally and number seven at his position. I think it's Ole Miss. I know Auburn's in there, Tennessee. So you got these SEC schools. Uh, but I know he had a really good time at Notre Dame. In the spring, he's wanting to get back to South Bend uh, in the summer. Um, I know the staff is working on getting them back up to campus. And Andre recently ranked him as the number four quarterback in the class in their updates on Monday. So that's kind of the rundown. I feel the best about Knight. But I know, look, Gadouli, Darren, and I know we talked about him, and I want to say our, our interview a week or two ago yeah. about the job he's done. I mean, he has seen quarterbacks nonstop in the 2025 class. I even think this is kind of – you know, because we do this coaches on the road report every morning and, and we say, hey, this is what we're hearing the staff is going to be. I want to say that Gadouli will be he's scouting some of these quarterbacks and he knows he's not going to get them or he might not even offer them. But he wants to, he's going to scout all these guys so we can like compare everybody. Sure. Like, again, I can't speak for him there, but that's kind of how like, I see it, like where he's going. And I'm like, some of them just don't like make total sense to me because I'm like, I, I, and I think it's because he's just he wants to see every quarterback. I love that, Darren. Like, yeah. This guy's kicking butt on the recruiting trail. Um, I don't know. I could be off base there, but again, I, I think the guy is, is is kind of showing us a different level of, you know. Uh, again, I'm not trying to show throw shade at Tommy Reese, and I've said that before. And talking about Gadouli, that's not my intention at all, but. I just feel like the dually, just the way he's recruiting on the road, is just a little bit different than we're used to. There's a different intensity. Just hearing you speak about the situation. I want to touch on two other things really quick, if you don't mind. You mentioned Cahoon and Rezac, the linebacker commitments that the Fighting Irish have picked up over the last week. Do you expect them to add one or two more linebackers? What's your read on what they still may do in the class at linebacker? Yeah, so earlier in our discussion, I was talking about defensive line, and it's like, yeah, they may have two spots left, but there's like eight guys they are still recruiting. 
it's similar for linebacker. I think they're just going to take one more. Okay. And Kingston Viliamuasa from St. John Bosco in Bellflower, California, looks like the top guy on the board, but they're still bringing in these other guys, you know, for official visits in June. Uh, Keyshawn Flowers, Chris Cole, Brian Huff, the, the, the former two on the East Coast, Huff's from Arkansas. And some of these guys, just as a side note, Darren, some of these guys are listed as an edge. Some of them are listed as linebacker, but some linebackers are going to be vipers at the sure. you know defensive ends at the next level, and some of the guys are listed as defensive end or edge or whatever are they're going to play linebacker. So front seven, and sometimes it's hard for me to remember who's being recruited at what position. But Notre Dame is, and then they're so versatile. They play all these different spots, and then Notre Dame's like, oh, we'll just get you in here and figure out your position later. <laughs> So that kind of makes it complicated. But, yeah, Kington Villiamuasa looks like the the top guy on the board to keep an eye on, but they're not putting their eggs all in that basket. Again, that's at least my read on the situation. I know we've talked about this guy in the past, but I just want to make a quick thought and maybe get your thoughts. But the Irish getting Antonio Carter, the, the safety from Rhode Island, watching some tape of him, he played corner a lot. Yeah, Rhode I don't, Island. I don't, why are we even talking about safety? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he, there's a lot of versatility with this guy. I'm really curious to see what the Irish do with him. To me, he seems like a player that, if everything works out for him, he could have a major role in this football team. This may not be just a depth piece. This might be a very important piece. Am I overrating him? Heck if I know. I mean, he <laughs> looks really good on film. Yeah. I mean, he's playing FCF. I mean, you look at the offers he had. I mean, Florida LSU. I mean, think about defensive backs that or defensive, you know, or programs that send defensive backs to the NFL. I think those two are yeah. probably in your top five, right? Bama, LSU, Florida, Ohio State, I'm sure are all up there in the top five. Um, you know, it's interesting because when I watch his tape, I'm like, he's just, he's a corner. Why is everybody talking about safety? Yeah. But I think he's going to be similar to Thomas Harper, who Notre Dame brought That's in to said. be – you know, like a Tariq Bracey slash Brandon Joseph replacement. It's the same here with Carter. And, and Darren, as we've talked in this interview, all these defensive linemen slash Vipers slash outside linebackers, it's all the same crap. They play everywhere. Look at last year. I mean, heck, you had like, hasn't Jordan Batello played like middle linebacker at times? It's like, who, or, or Fosky? It's like, who, the, like, for some of these positions, like the front seven, they just play everywhere. They just move around. I mean, J.D. Bertrand's going to play nose tackle, and obviously I'm kidding there. But seriously, like, these guys are just moving around so much. It's kind of the same in the back end now. I mean, you're, you're playing nickel. You're playing safety. You're playing some corner. I mean, think about someone like Clarence Lewis. I mean, he can play, I feel like, every defensive back position. You know, some of these guys with their length and size and, um, you know, just range – they can play all these different spots. So I think that's a good thing for Notre Dame. Now, does he pan out? We'll see. We'll see. But I think on paper, getting a guy who does have the potential to play two years, I mean, this is about as good as you can get from the transfer portal. Well, the Irish had issues making plays on the football outside of Benjamin Morrison. So this guy was really good at anticipating throws. Now it was the FCS. There's going to be a jump going to major college football. But this is an intriguing guy, and I'm glad the Irish are taking a shot with him. All these things we talked about, Mike, you can go to your computer and read more about it at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Let's do it. Let's have you on the site, folks. 
Join uh, for $29.99. That unlocks premium access for six months before you get on the, uh, the regular rate. So um, definitely do that. And if you have any questions, you can always uh, hit me on Twitter, at Mike T. Singer, email msingerbloomgold.com. I'd be happy to chat with you. And if you do Mike Singer instead without the T, you might get a pop singer. You might get an NBA beat right. reporter. So they may not know much about Notre Dame football recruiting. <laughs> yeah, I'm the third most famous <laughs> Mike Singer to my knowledge, but there's probably more out there. But, yes, you are correct, my friend. Mike T. Singer on Twitter. Enjoy a little vacation time next week. And I think we're going to talk to your colleague, Kyle Kelly, on your segment next week. We can get that all worked out. So we will talk to you in two weeks, and we expect you to have a bright suntan here on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Sounds great, my friend. Thank you. All right, that's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We've got some sports wagering talk coming up in just a moment as we continue on on this Tuesday, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports Beat continues on this Tuesday evening. South Bend Cubs baseball comes your way tonight here on WSBT Radio. In just a few moments, it's the Cubs on the road opening up a six-game series against the Sky Carp uh, Beloit. Beloit affiliated with the Miami Marlins and Beloit right now leading the Midwest League's Western Division with a record of 20-12. and 12. Two and a half games in front of Cedar Rapids, Peoria, and the South Bend Cubs. So stand by South Bend Cubs baseball coming up in just a couple of moments here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Howard Park and Mishawaka Public Houses presents Michiana's Double Bingo Game. Play now and jump in anytime. It's free. Grab your bingo card right now. Just go to michianabingo.com. That's michianabingo.com for your card and all the rules. A reminder, the jackpot grows daily by 50 bucks and all season long. Tons of cash and prizes given away during Michiana's virtual double bingo game presented by Howard Park and Mishawaka Public Houses. Two cities, two parks, one river, one public house. Show me the money. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. It's time for another edition of Sizzler here on WSBT Radio. Well, I inadvertently last night had a suggestion for a game that actually takes place tonight. So we'll carry that one over into today's picks. We had three picks last night, and it was a two-in-one night. Let's go through the suggestions. We started with two suggestions from the Cubs and the Astros down at Minute Maid Park in Houston, Texas. The first was Astros outfielder Kyle Tucker over one and a half, a combination of hits, runs, and RBI at minus 120. I went with Tucker because he's left-handed, and left-handers have hammered Cubs starter Jamison Tyone. In fact, Tucker against Tyone in his career going into last night, Three for seven with a home run. Felt good about it? Don't feel so good about it now. Tucker went 0 for 4 
in last night's game. We bounced back, though. We took the Astros on the run line against the Cubs. Astros minus one and a half runs against the Cubs. It looked like it was going to be an easy win early as the Astros scored four in the first, but Chris Morrell hit a three-run home run during a four-run fourth inning to tie the game at four. But Alex Bregman hit a two-run home run in the seventh inning to put the Astros up by two. That was the final score, 6-4. We needed the Astros to win by two to win the suggestion, and they took care of business for us. And that was at plus 110, so we bet 10, we won 21 bucks, so that was profitable. The third suggestion from last night, Stanley Cup playoffs. I took the Seattle Kraken on the goals line. I got plus one and a half goals in Seattle at the Dallas Stars in that deciding game seven. Dallas was up 2-0 with under 30 seconds to go, and Seattle scored with 17 seconds left, giving us the victory in our suggestion. Not a lot of juice on this one. That was at minus 150, about 10. You win 16.66, but every cent counts. The fourth suggestion will carry over into tonight. We'll talk about that coming up in a moment. But two and one last night on our three $10 bets, we made $7.66. And now for the month of May, 27, 16 and one for the year, 146, 118 and three. So here we go with five suggestions for tonight. We'll carry that one over and we'll take care of that suggestion first. The carryover suggestion. Game one of the NBA Western Conference Final in the Mile High City. The Lakers visiting the Nuggets. I'm going to take the Lake Show. Plus five and a half on the road against the top-seeded Nuggets. At minus 110, you bet 10, you win 19.09. Now the four regularly scheduled suggestions for tonight. We'll go back to the Cubs and the Astros down in Texas. I'm going to go with the Cubs on the money line. They are a road underdog tonight against the defending world champs. I'm going with the Cubs because Justin Steele is on the mound. Arguably the best pitcher in baseball statistically since the all-star break last year. He has been phenomenal over the last calendar year and the Astros have not faced him. I'm hoping that's an advantage for Steele. Only Mauricio Dubon, who used to play for the Giants, has faced Steele. He went one for three, and I'm hoping that Steele can neutralize a couple of key left-handed bats, Alvarez and Tucker, for the Astros. So we'll take the Cubs, the road dog, at plus 135. You bet 10, you win 23.50. Suggestion number two. Let's go with the Cubs shortstop, Dansby Swanson. Taking on the Astros, Christian Javier tonight. I'm taking Swanson over one and a half runs, hits, and RBI against the Astros. Swanson has faced Javier in the past, and Swanson is two for four with two home runs. So let's go with Swanson over one and a half runs, hits, and RBI at plus 115. You bet 10, you win 21.50. Suggestion number three, Swanson's old team, the Atlanta Braves, visiting the Texas Rangers. It's a pitching matchup that's not going to be on any marquee. Jared Schuster versus Dane Dunning. 
When in doubt, go with the Braves on the money line at the Rangers at minus 110. You bet 10, you win 1909. And finally, Cardinals and Brewers from Bush Stadium in downtown St. Louis. The Cardinals have won eight of nine as they try to dig themselves out of a huge hole that they created for themselves. They won 18 to one last night. Momentum, I'm hoping, will carry over tonight as it is Jordan Montgomery for the Cardinals taking on Wade Miley, the old South Bend Silverhawk. I'm going to take the Cardinals in the first five innings minus a half a run against Milwaukee at minus 130. So the Cardinals have to have at least a one-run lead after the fifth inning to win this suggestion. So there are the special five suggestions for tonight. Lakers plus five and a half against the Nuggets at minus 110. The Cubs, the road dog on the money line at the Astros at plus 135. Dansby Swanson of the Cubs over one and a half runs, hits an RBI at plus 115. Braves on the money line at Texas at minus 110. And the Cardinals' first five innings minus a half a run against the Brewers at minus 130. Good luck to you tonight. Those are my suggestions for this Tuesday. Budweiser's weekday sports beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the family in. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Again, South Bend Cubs baseball is coming up in seconds. Here on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT Radio app. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 